the Lord found me. <laughs> Amen. Uh, he seeks and saves that which was lost. And I'm grateful for that. All right. I want us to try to wrap our mind around a difficult subject this morning for our Sunday school hour as we continue with, with systematic theology. We are bringing to a close the, uh, the acts of God. We're simply looking at the acts of God. We're not looking at uh, to what that necessarily looks like um, as, it, as it unfolds in history, although we're mentioning that. But his, his, that, I mean, as far as this matter of God's decrees... This is a difficult subject um, that God has, as a king, made decrees, declared things to be so. And we looked at some of the classical um, confessions of faith. What, we, what do we mean by decrees? Uh, Westminster said, uh, said that God has decreed whatsoever has come to pass. Uh, that gets into some, some difficult subjects, but as we're finishing our discussion of God's acts, um, it's a necessary subject, I believe. And we're, we're once again, we're using John Frame and his works, work on systematic theology kind of as a springboard to discuss these things. Uh, so with his acts, we've discussed four things. We discuss creation, we discuss providence, uh, creation is an immediate act of God, uh, not immediate as if we did it through a mediator, uh, but an immediate act of God. Uh, the Gnostics believe that God would not create because God is God and would not, uh, would not soil himself by coming into contact with, his, with, with creation. Um, that's not the understanding of the scriptures. God, by an immediate act, created all things um, in six six days of creation. So uh, it displays his lordship as everything else does. Then we talked about providence, the ordinary acts of God whereby he is, he is shown to be Lord, manifest to be Lord, how he is guiding all of history towards an end. And all things work together for good to them that love God, uh, to them who are the called according to his purposes. Uh, God in his providence is literally working all things. Even evil human decisions are not caught catching God by surprise. He is working in and through those, such as uh, the sins of, of, Jake, of Joseph's brothers who beat him, cast him into a pit. God sent Joseph to Egypt. How did he do that? Through the hands of sinful men. <laughs> uh, so he's even, even the bad things that are happening, God is working. All things after the counsel of his own will and according to Ephesians 1. So the providence of God shows his lordship. Um, everything from the rising of the sun every morning to... Um, 
to the rising of kings and the setting of kings down. He is displaying his lordship in ordinary ways. Uh, he brings the rain. He withholds the rain. Uh, our God is working all things. And then we saw the uh, miracles. What are miracles? They are the extraordinary acts of God whereby he is manifest to be Lord. Um, and we've discussed that. Now, decrees makes it... The, this is hard because this gets into the age-old debates in Christianity concerning, concerning Arminianism and Calvinism and... What we, what we need to do is we need to determine, A, we're not going to figure it out. <laughs> Amen. Uh, we're, our minds are not big enough to wrap, our, wrap around in the, the eternal God and how God has ordered all things. Number two, we need to say, I believe what the Scriptures declare. So if the Scriptures declare, whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely... I believe it, and I go forward, and I go offer freely to everyone the gospel of Jesus Christ, believing that they may respond, and that they may come to Christ and be saved. But, at the same time, when I turn into harder subjects, I don't say that there is a contradiction here. Like, for instance, Ephesians chapter 1, we've read this several times. There's no other way to take it than what it says. That God, Ephesians 1, that God, that we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, verse 4. According as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, without blame before him in love, having predestinated us. We run into these words. What, what do we do? Well, we believe them. Amen. What we don't say, well, God, well, the Apostle Paul, he he really doesn't understand the issue, uh, and we start trying to work our way around them. God chose those who are saved. Not many mighty, not many noble, not many strong, but God chose the elect. He elected. That's the word. He chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Why am I saved? Well, historically, I am saved because I came to Christ. Amen? That's how you got saved. You came to Christ. Did you do so freely? Yeah, you did so freely. But on the other end, why am I saved? I'm saved because God made me an object of His grace. How... And I, I, I cannot fathom how anybody can come to the conclusion that there is other, any other foundation for their salvation other than God had grace. And that's, uh, Charles Spurgeon says, uh, how do you, when someone asked him, how do you make these two things fit? Uh, how do you reconcile these two things? And he says, I don't have to. I don't have to reconcile friends. Uh, I may not understand how they fit, but I've got a small, finite, tiny, tiny, tiny mind. And God is infinite in his understanding. And he's infinite in his love and he's infinite in his mercy. And 
I've come to the conclusion that I am saved because he saved me. And not because I was smarter than other people. Not because I was stronger than, stronger in my will than other people. And, and I, he saved me from a complete lost state. Like we just sung. There were 90 and 9 and he came and sought me. Where was I? I was lost and undone. Unable to save myself. Unable to make one move towards God by myself. And he sought and saved me. That's the bottom line of all this. Uh, we, let's look again at Romans 8. We love Romans 8.28. Um, and here it's laid out. What do we do with it? Do we, do we say do we say other scriptures are in error? No, we don't say other scriptures are in error. Nor, nor we deny what it's clearly said here. And we know that all things work together. Wrote verse twenty-eight. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. What's that foreknow mean? It means, well, it means exactly what we were just reading in Ephesians. Before he created me, he already knew me. Before Jesus died, he already knew me. Uh, All that the Father has given unto me, We find that phrase a lot in John. Who is that? That's the elect. I don't know much about them, but they come to Christ. They're the ones that come to Christ. And they're the ones that Christ has saved. He says, whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate. What's that mean? He predetermined. (laughs) These are easy words that only become complicated when we try to uh, bang our head against theological walls to try to try to uh, uh, figure them out. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Notice that he is not foreknowing and predestinating and calling and justifying and glorifying events. But it's a people. He foreknew people and those people who he foreknew he predestinated those people and who did he those those people that he predestinated them he called and those whom he called he justified and those whom he justified he glorified i'm glad about this because this puts this puts everything in his lap where do i find my security in christ I find my security not in things that I've done, not because I was so faithful, so I, I was so smart, I was so good, but in Him. How do I know I'm part of these people? Because I believed on them. Amen? We are children of God by faith in Christ. Uh, I, I, I trusted Him. I, I know that I trusted Him. And, and I know that faith in and of itself was a gift that He gave me. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift. So this is good doctrine. This is doctrine that is to be believed, that is to be held, is to be cherished, and not to be lightly letting go of. And I, 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 I don't mean to, to oversimplify the debate only just to say this, 
once you move away from this, it's very easy to start inserting works. And, and I think that's the great challenge if someone is going to assert an Arminian point of view, uh, that the great challenge is them to do so without asserting merit and works. And that's been the challenge all along. Um, and that's why I've, I, I've openly said I've, I'm far more Calvinistic than I used to be as uh, 20 years ago. Uh, there's still a lot I don't know, and I'm not trying to sit there and say I figured it all out. But, um, but I believe in grace, and I can't. Uh, it's hard for me to to see how moving from some of these doctrines does not insert merit. So these are wonderful doctrines, and we're not trying to figure them all out, but we do want to believe what the, what Christ says. Now, why is this so controversial? It's not controversial. <coughs> What we've said so far isn't the controversial part. What the controversial part is, and I hope we're able to get through this today, because if so, next week we get to start talking about the attributes of God, and the first thing we get to talk about is his love. And uh, why is this important, or why is it controversial? (coughs) Is because of the implication of this. Rep, row, well, I misspelled it already. Reprobation. What does this mean? Well, let's talk about this elephant in the room. (laughs) Whenever we talk about election, predestination, foreknowledge, all these things, all biblically sound words, if we say that God has... And that, that really everything gets down. We don't want God, uh, people who people don't want God to have a choice. <laughs> uh, but it's most obvious that God does make choices. And once we assert that truth, we have to deal with the elephant in the room. Um, if God has chosen some for salvation, by implication, we're saying He did not choose everyone. That's hard, ain't it? I'm treading it in dangerous waters. Some of you all are getting your tomatoes out, ready to throw them at me. So I realize that this is an emotional issue. I want us to step back and I want to try to look at it. God could have made certain choices. He could have saved No one. Would he have been just to save no one? All right. So he would have been completely just to say, all right, Adam, you sinned. That's it. I'm not saving anybody. That was your one chance. It's over. He could have saved no one. Or on the other side, he could have saved everyone. There's people that believe that, right? We call this universalism. Everybody's going to be saved eventually, <laughs> even the devil. Now, it's easy for us to figure out that both of these are false, <laughs> scripturally, 
Obviously, he is saving someone, but not everyone. So the truth is right here in the middle. God chose to save some. And you can put me there. That's what, that's what Brother Jeff just did. He chose to save me. And that's the truth of the matter. Now, he would have been completely just to save no one. And I would make an argument that it would have been unjust to save everyone, but, but he could have saved all. But he chose, out of the mass of lost humanity, to draw out for himself some. Is, I've heard some really good arguments, but people will say, well, that's unjust. No, it's not. It's not unjust or unjust for God to allow those that are lost. Because we all admit that it would have been just to save no one. So it's just for him not to save all as well. Or you'll hear the term unfair. Well, if someone is left in their sins... Are they, uh, is God just in condemning them? Well, put a pin in that, all right? So we're not, but my point is, is we're not talking about justice. This is not justice. This is mercy. This is mercy and this is grace for him to decide to save some of the lost. But it's hard. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around that. We, we, and that's why it's so easy to swing over to this right side here and say, you know, I think eventually God's going to save all. Um, uh, Rob Bell. Anybody ever heard of Rob Bell? He is a, uh, I'm going to say he's an apostate. <laughs> According because he has ceased to believe the scriptures. He wrote a book maybe about 10, 12 years ago called Love Wins. And no, it wasn't about marriage. (laughs) It was about, basically, he taught in that book that while that hell is not eternal and hell is like a purgatory and everybody everybody is going to eventually be reconciled to God and saved. Um... That's universalism. Uh, there's been various types of universalism that are that is taught. That's probably one of the most recent, um, as far as uh, as far as big names. Rob Bell continued to be a big, um, a, an often guest on places like Oprah Winfrey Show and stuff like that, and uh, he got a lot of press with his with his ideology, but. Uh, but it's not biblical. Eternal destruction, things like that is taught, taught by Christ himself. And it's always dangerous to get to the point where, you're going to, where you say, well, God doesn't, well, Christ didn't really mean what he said there. Uh, that's, that's dangerous. So since, since God has chosen to save those that are saved, and that's ultimately true, 
we have to deal with this with this idea of reprobation that there are some that are lost and they remain lost uh, there is a distinction between theological categories uh, and they're difficult to, I'm, I don't want to throw big big words at you but they're difficult really to kind of deal with so there's two ideas one is what we call preteration and don't worry about the term but that is the side of the coin whereby theologians will say well God determined not to choose certain persons and that's that's a difficult that's 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 difficult or there's pre-condemnation where He determines to justly punish them for their sin, those whom he has not chosen. Those are two sides of that coin. Um, there's, where, what, where is the apparent conflict? Well, the apparent conflict is with, with what we know about the nature of God. Uh, and the very first thing you hear when you talk about anyone being lost is you hear, how could a loving God, and if you just fill in the blank, right? How could a loving God do this um, so it seems to be in conflict with his love uh, it seems to be in conflict with his na- his merciful nature and even his desire for the salvation of individuals for instance Ezekiel 18 says I have no pleasure God said in the death of the wicked Okay. So there's a certain amount of desire there for the wicked to repent, described by God. First uh, Timothy, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God is not willing, and Peter, Second Peter 3, 9, uh, God is not willing that any should perish. So how do we reconcile? So we, we immediately run into certain texts of Scripture that, say, that declare certain truths, absolute truths about God, uh, about His loving and merciful nature and His desire for salvation. The problem here with reprobation is probably one of the most difficult ones that we're going to face as we study theology. Uh, And we're not going to be able really here to flesh all these things out when we start talking about the love of god and the mercy of god we're gonna we're gonna zero in specifically on some of these points and try to figure out really where where this lies in this discussion what i want to do today is just simply show you the biblical nature of this that it's scriptural that some are lost. God, when He ordained salvation, He ordained salvation from sin, which means, in a sense, He had already determined sin and its consequence. The wages of sin is death, right? So if someone is lost, what does it say in John 3 18? Uh, they are 
condemned already. Uh, the, so, so God has already determined an end for all that are lost. And this plays out historically, just like we talked about last week, as it plays out historically uh, and eternally. These are two different sides of the coin. For instance, God chose Israel, but by choosing Israel, what did he not choose? Historically, looking at the, the, at, at the, the choosing of Israel, he didn't choose all the other nations uh, to fulfill his promises. But ultimately, that was temporary because, because historically, as his not choosing the rest of the nations, he chose Abraham to eventually be a blessing to all nations. And we see that in Christ. So as this, as this idea of God choosing... Not, so there, there are some temporary ideas here that are being played out. And that was so with us. There was a time when I was lost. Really lost. I, this, is, uh, this is some of the... Some of the uh, Some of the uh, problems sometimes I run into when I run into my Calvinist brothers who think they've got it all figured out. There was a time where I was lost, right? That I was without Christ and without God, without the promises. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, Ephesians 2, right? Uh, that, that, was a, that was the truth of Jason Tackett. Prior to August 26, 1999, I was a lost individual. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing, because if I run into someone who's lost out here, I don't, I don't start hitting them with the doctrine of election or reprobation. What do I hit them with? I hit them with the gospel. And I said, you are lost, but that does not mean that you cannot be saved. <laughs> Amen? So, so, so there, historically, as this plays out, uh, God's rejection is not necessarily... God, someone being in a lost state or God's rejection of the nations or, or the lost state of any individual is not necessarily a permanent and eternal choice of God. Uh, it may play out that way in his eter eternal attributes, but like I said, I went from being dead to being alive. I went from being lost to being saved. I went from being a long list of, sinner, uh, uh, of, of sinful attributes to being said such were some of you. <laughs> Amen? It's, this is the truth, the truth of the matter. So we're not, what I'm saying is by saying this, we're, we're not able to read God's eternal decrees <laughs> and say, okay, yeah, that person's lost and they're always going to be lost and you know, no sense in wasting my time here. We don't know that. Any more than... Before you got saved, someone could have said that about you. And that's why we freely give the gospel to people. We don't know who, who God might save. What I do know is, is there is a multitude that no man can number that one day is going to stand before his throne. And they're going to be from every tribe, every nation, every kindred, every tongue. And as one missionary said, you still cannot, or he didn't say the word still, you cannot take the gospel to the wrong address. You can't. 
So, well, let's, let's look at this, though, and I want to frame this correctly. We are in Romans 8, I think, last time. Let's just go over one chapter. And this is traditionally, and I need to watch my clock. I don't want to sp- have this spill over into next week because I really want to get into the, <laughs> the doctrine of God's love. But we have to realize that all these, these, these things are working out according to God's plan. Uh, hold, hold there, and, hold there in, uh, in, a, in Romans 9, before we go back there, Jude. Jude, he makes an interesting statement here that connects to this idea of reprobation. Jude and verse 4. For there are, yeah, you could pick any, any chapter you like, but when you find Jude, find the fourth verse. <laughs> so, uh, he says, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. What does that mean? Ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we see the other side of the coin of Ephesians 1 here. We're seeing the very same thing, that they have shown themselves not to be saved. Uh, they have chosen, shown themselves to be reprobated in every way. The central passage here in Romans 9, and we, there's a lot of things. Uh, we, we could look at parables. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like uh, a man who threw a net into the sea, and he, bought, and he drug out the fishes, uh, and, he threw, and the good fishes he threw in the... <laughs> he threw, uh, threw into his barrel, and the bad he cast away. Uh, these are all pictures of, of God uh, in his grace choosing. Uh, I, mean, I, I want to get to Romans 9, but one more verse. Uh, we, we, we see the divine prerogative of God to hide the truth from some. We love, we, love, we love Matthew 11 where it says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I love that, don't you? But what did he say before that in Matthew 11? He said this. He says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. Even our very confession is something that is given to us by God. I'm saved because Christ was revealed to me. He said to Peter, he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Here we see this idea that God hides from some the very truths of Christ. Romans 9 we see this historically played out. And this is talking about the nation of the Jews. The Jews rejected the gospel. And Paul was asking, Paul was asserting uh, this idea. He would, he would, if possible, would give himself to see his brethren be saved. And he asked the question in verse 6 
he says, Not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not of all Israel, not all of Israel, all Israel which are of Israel. I'll get that word. And and he's answering the question, uh, since the great amount of Jews in that day setting themselves aside, because he will come back to this point in Romans 11, since they are not saved and they have rejected Christ, has the word of God failed? Have the promises of God failed? And so he launches into a discussion of that and he answers, he says, not all Israel are of not all Israel are of Israel. <laughs> and, and this will get into the remnant that he's going to talk about in chapter 11. Uh, Paul's, Paul begins to talk about election here. Uh, and historically, how that played out. And we've already talked about some of this in, cha- in verses 7 through 9. He says, uh, he talks about choosing Isaac over Ishmael. In verses 10 through 13, he starts talking about choosing Jacob over Esau. And we cannot say that Esau or Ishmael were eternally reprobated by this choice. Uh, he, is, he, he is talking about him positively choosing to put, give his promises to certain people as opposed to others as it's talking about laying this forth. But he's drawing a connection here that is very important to our understanding of why many of the Jews are lost in that day. That's ultimately the argument that he's trying to make. What he's focusing on with this idea of Jacob versus Esau, Isaac versus Ishmael, is this idea of grace, of this being apart from works. He mentions that specifically with Jacob. He says, before uh, before." Uh, the children were born before they had done good and evil. Uh, God chose them without, apart from works, and based upon His purposes and His callings, He chose Jacob instead of Esau. It's possible, impossible, uh, says Frame here, to avoid the conclusion that Paul is making the same point concerning Israel as they were in his day. Why weren't they saved? Why weren't many of them saved? Well, because God did not choose to save them. That's hard for us to talk about, but it gets into some very, it gets into the point. And Paul anticipates a question that would not make sense if we weren't making this connection. In verse 14, he says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice in God? And it would not make sense if he wasn't making the connection with this very thing. And then he says specifically in verse 15, he draws out what Moses said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I said, This is in the context of what the very thing that you and I are talking about. Why am I saved? I am saved because God decided to have mercy upon me. 
this, this very point in and of itself draws to our attention a God that should be feared. I'm afraid the God that is preached today in, evangel- in evangelical circles in American churches is not a God that's feared. God didn't have to save me. Why did he save me? Because he was merciful. And, I, and we should approach God like that. We should encourage people that we're giving the gospel to to approach God like that. God can have mercy on whom he wills. There's a reason for you to go to him right now. <laughs> Amen? Because he may have mercy. Remember, remember the lepers <laughs> in, uh, in uh, Kings. They're starving and it says, well, let's go fall into the hands of the Syrians. They may have mercy or they may kill us. <laughs> I don't know. But they may have mercy. We have every reason to believe that God is a merciful and loving Savior. Full of compassion. And we can go to him as such. Uh, says, I'll be gracious. I'll show mercy. And then he adds in verse 16 this very idea. So then it is not in him that wills. Does that, does that mean you did not make a choice when you got saved? Well, of course you did. This is not denying that whosoever wills. But it's denying that that's the basis of salvation. So then it is not as him that wills, nor in him that runs, but in God that shows mercy. Again, why are you saved? You're saved because when you went to God, he showed you mercy. And the question then arise, why does he find fault? Verses 19 through 21, and I know I'm marching through this chapter really quick, but why does he yet find, who's resisted the will of God? And he says, who are you, O man, to, say, to even question? In fact, the very, th- the very question you're asking shows you have a will against God, that you want to boast against the potter himself. The potter has the right to do with his own what he wills. That's the God of the Scriptures. Paul, though, he's wanting to, he's wanting to answer a deeper theological question. He's not... He's, He's wanting to answer the question of Israel's unbelief. And that's what that chapter is all about contextually. Why are so many of the Israelites in in unbelief? Does that mean they weren't responsible for their unbelief? No, it doesn't. They were responsible. In fact, chapter 10 deals with their responsibility to hear and respond to the gospel. That he is not far away from them. He is near. He is nigh unto them. He is even in their mouth. If they would just but call upon him. And his word has gone out into all the world. And they remain in their unbelief despite his merciful acts. Are they responsible for their unbelief? Yes. But here, he is showing it from the eternal, a side of eternal election. And answering the question, why are they not believed? Because they're not all of Israel. And then we're going to get into chapter 11 about the remnant. <laughs> Has God's promises failed? No, he hasn't failed because Paul stands up, I'm an Israelite, I'm a Jew, and I'm saved. And there are others <laughs> that, are, that have trusted Christ. There, God has, according to his grace, maintained a believing remnant. There's three points real quick. Um, and then we're going to close, uh, and I'm being long. Um, 
we can't we cannot deny that de- deny uh, these truths in Scripture, uh, and we do need to tread on this doctrine very lightly. But um, but we can't come and say, well, we we can't go into error trying to deny it, and say, well, God's just going to save everyone. But as soon as we says God chose to save some out of the lost, we have to answer these questions and we have to say what what it says. Uh, Frame makes three points here. This does not this doctrine does not prejudice the free offer of the gospel itself. We freely preach the gospel. We're not sitting. It's not our job to figure out election and then go out and try to find the elect. Amen. This has nothing to do with the preaching of the gospel. Our gospel goes out into all the world. To as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. I, I'll offer, we offer Christ to whoever will receive him. And you know, that very next verse in John 1 goes on to say, who are born not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, <laughs> and and uh, not of blood, but of God. So, elect, so the doctrine of election does not preclude or hinder the preaching of the gospel. We preach because we can't figure it out. We know that the Father gave the Son a certain people to save. And who are they? They're the ones that come to Him. And everyone that comes to Him will never be cast out. Amen? <laughs> My favorite verse of Scripture. I love that. Number two, the doctrine of reprobation does not prejudice the assurance of salvation. That assurance is based on, is never, you and I are not, we do not find our assurance by trying to read the eternal decrees of God. Well, I'm not sure if I'm elect. I'm not sure. Your calling is to make your election sure. How do you do that? Well, you ask certain questions. Do I trust him? Do I believe him? <laughs> uh, d- d- does, d- do I bear the marks of someone who is his sheep? I.e., I hear his voice, I know him, I follow him. We get our assurance by, not by reading the eternal decrees of God, but by on trusting his promises. I believe, I believe the man, and he says everyone that believes... He will, know, he will never cast out. That's where we get assurance, not by understanding election. Nor does the doctrine imply that election and reparation are parallel in every respect, he says. Um, and, that's, and, and that's the sense. Uh, the blessing ordained by God's election to choice to save is by God's grace. But the choice to judge men's sins... Is fully merited. There is no one that is lost that does not deserve God's judgment. So these are not parallel ideas. So 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 the elect, the election of those that are saved versus the rep, the doctrine of reprobation are not parallel ideas. We're saved by grace, but those that are lost are lost because of merit. So, the, so you're not looking at these ideas the same, and they're not equal in all respects. Um, I don't know if I cleared this up or not. <laughs> hopefully, uh, this hopefully I didn't make too many enemies this morning. 
Any questions, complaints, grievances? I wanted to get into, well, I was going to skip the next section anyway and just only say a couple words on it. I may bring it up and before we talk about God's love next week. Yes, brother. Mm-hmm. Yep, amen. And that's one of the points that Paul also drew up, and we didn't really, we were running through Romans 9 really quick. Uh, and that's one of, Pharaoh is one of the uh, examples he brought up. Uh, he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardens. Um, now, now, we should ask ourselves when we're reading, at any point, with Pharaoh, did Pharaoh not do what he wanted to do? Did, was God hardening Pharaoh against his will? Was, 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 was Pharaoh really seeking God, but God kept hardening him and refused? That, that's not how the story goes at all. Was, was Pharaoh a sinner before Moses ever approached him? Yeah. God was not unjust in his dealings with Pharaoh. Uh, but uh, uh, well, anyway. Mm-hmm. In other words, he knows whether or not you're going to be saved or not, whether he does not cause you. You, you is the one, you know, he, he's receiving or rejecting. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that preached, and I have a hard time saying I'm the cause of my salvation. And I think when I'm approaching certain, it, well, like I said, when we approach those verses that say whosoever will may come to the water come and drink of the water of life freely do we believe that yes we have every reason to believe that uh to many going back to john one to as many as received him to them he gave power to become the sons of god even to as many as called upon his name do we believe that yes but do we believe the next verse who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the man, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. Do we believe that part? Absolutely. Why am I born again? I am born not because I made, not because of the decision I made, but because he showed mercy. Because he chose to save me. And that becomes the ultimate cause of salvation. I don't know how to necessarily make those fit, but I always, I've come to the conclusion that I cannot ultimately speak of my salvation without saying that God was the cause of it. And it's not, I had know a lot of great brothers that have taught that. Uh, the foreknowledge of God is not causative. Uh, things of that I don't, uh, I, I, I find that hard to incorporate into my language when I'm speaking about myself. And I have, find it hard to reconcile with how Paul was speaking of that issue with, uh, in Romans 9, for instance, uh, I, I think there is a certain truth that, that I, ch- I, did chose him. I did choose him, and that choice was free. But 
ultimately, what saved me was him choosing me. And I, that's, that's where I've landed on the issue. And I, I know it I know it muddies the water sometimes. And then we've got to start talking about some of these things. I've also heard that, you know, on this side of the truth, the real the truth is chosen by God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's a very apt way to look at it. Uh, we, we offer Christ freely to people. We say, choose Christ, choose Christ. We don't stop asking people to make a decision after Christ. Uh, but once we get inside the door, they make a decision for Christ to say, well, let me teach you a little bit about your salvation. It's not by your works. It's not because you were smart and cute or anything else like that. It's because he had mercy on you, because he chose you before the foundation of the world. You were going to say something, brother. Mm-hmm. Nothing. What? You see, you get that by reading Romans three, right? That—that uh, that was me. It was talking about uh, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Uh, uh, whose feet are swift to run, run, run to the evil, whose hands shed innocent blood. There's, n- there's none good, there's none righteous, there's none that seek God. That was us. Uh, there's nothing lovely about us in our lost condition, that's for sure. That's some wonderful discussion. Anything else? And every decision I made before I got saved was to sin against God. <laughs> and, and God would have been just the day before my salvation to cast me into hell forever. And it's his mercy that didn't. It is his mercy that allowed me to get to August 26, 1999, where I sought him. And it, where I finally sought him because of his cords of love drawing me. <laughs> but praise the Lord for it. All right, we're going to quit. We've got 10 minutes.